Okay, this Bible reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, on page 1203 in these Bibles. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all, my, all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So the second reading tonight is 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 9, on page 12.12. And now, brothers... We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded for us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes, yet for your sakes, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Would you like to be able to serve and serve with joy? Would you like to be able to serve eager to serve other people and willing to sacrifice to do it? Would you like your heart to be like that? Do you think that is even possible for you and I? I want to show you tonight that the source of serving is love. It's the essential source of serving. And yes, it is possible. It is possible to overflow with joy in our serving, even in difficult circumstances, and to be eager and sacrificial. Would you like to know how? First point, though, from 1 Corinthians 13, our first Bible passage, without love, 
even spectacular serving is nothing. On page 1203. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames. Here's a list of spectacular serving. Imagine if you could speak in the tongues of angels. Imagine if you had the gift of prophecy. Imagine if you could fathom all mysteries and had all knowledge. Imagine if you had a faith that could move mountains. Wow. Imagine. Well, the Corinthians didn't need to imagine. That's what they were like. And they were pretty (laughs) proud of it too. Paul is talking about them. Impressive, spectacular serving. And he throws another one in which I doubt they were doing. But verse 3, If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames. Wow, that's sacrifice, isn't it? Spectacular serving. Imagine if you could do that. Well, do you see the shocking verdict that he gives on all of that? If I do all of these things, I am nothing. I gain nothing. At the beginning of this series, we talked about the misery of serving the wrong God, the misery of serving people. But this is worse than misery. You can be miserable and manage to achieve something, miserable and be something, but this is being nothing, gaining nothing. How could that possibly be? Well, it's pretty clear in the verses, isn't it? He says it three times. But have not love. You can have spectacular ways of serving that are impressive and sacrificial. But if you don't have a love for God, and if you don't have a love for people that shows, then you are nothing and you gain nothing. And Paul's saying, I, but I think the Corinthians know what he means. He means you. You have these spectacular ways of serving, Corinthians, but you have not love. Are you impressed by spectacular serving, people who have amazing gifts, who can do miraculous things, even in a strange, weird way by those who kill themselves for their faith? Don't be. God isn't impressed. They are nothing. Are you serving without love? Maybe your ways of serving are not nearly as spectacular as these ones. But you do them sometimes without love for the people that you're serving. If we are not patient and not kind in our serving... If we do envy, when we do boast, when we are proud and when we keep a record of wrongs, then we have not love. And we need to hear this verdict. It doesn't matter whether your serving is spectacular or ordinary. Without love, it is nothing. And if you see yourself here, then you need to repent. I need to repent. And ask God for forgiveness. There is good news, of course, isn't there? Jesus had a spectacular way of serving. He surrendered his body to the cross, but he did that out of love 
and it was a ransom for you and I. If you see yourself in these verses, even a little bit, and our serving is always mixed, isn't it, in its motives, then there is forgiveness. We need to come to Jesus and know that forgiveness. Without love, even spectacular serving is nothing. Well, a year later, Paul was still trying to get the Corinthians to have love. And he wrote them another letter, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This time he doesn't talk about their spectacular ways of serving. He talks about a very ordinary way of serving that they weren't doing, but the Macedonian churches were doing. And he wants them to see their love and compare it with their own. Do you see that there in verse 8? I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love, Corinthians, by comparing it with the earnestness, with the love of others. You see, Paul is travelling around the Mediterranean world and he's doing something very ordinary, an ordinary way of serving. He's collecting some money. The Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem are starving. They're poor because there's a famine. And so he goes around the Gentile churches asking them to give money to their brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem. As he goes from church to church, he asks for money. It's, it's ordinary, really, just giving money. But when he came to the Macedonian churches, the churches in Macedonia, he held back. He held back because, as you can see, they were having a severe trial, verse 2. They are in extreme poverty. It wouldn't be appropriate. It would have been insensitive to ask them for money. But look at what happened, verse 2. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Though he didn't mention it, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. Do you see how extraordinary that is? It's an ordinary way of serving, just giving money, but they plead for the privilege of serving in this way. The word here for privilege is the word grace. They see it as a, as a gift from God, an unearned mercy that they really want to have. And so they plead with Paul. We know that we're poor. We have almost nothing, but we want to give. They are eager in their serving. And not just eager, but they are sacrificial, verse 3. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They didn't just lower the number in their bank account when they didn't even know what that number was in the first place. They didn't just choose a cheaper mobile phone plan when it came around so they could give money. No, they took the money out of their food bag for the week and gave it away. Maybe they sold some of their clothes and gave the money away. They were not just generous, like we sometimes are. They sacrificed, and it cost them. Cost them in a way that they couldn't afford to serve Christians they didn't even know. It's not a spectacular way of serving. It's just giving money. It's quite ordinary. But it's extraordinary. They were so eager. And it's so sacrificial. Why do they do this? Because they love 
verse 8. They love first to the Lord, verse 5, and then to others. And it is not a love that is joyless. Oh, we better do this. It sounds like they're really in a hard time in Jerusalem and we owe them. They are the Jewish Christians after all. It's not a long-suffering love. It is a love overflowing with joy, verse 2. An overflowing joy that welled up in rich generosity, in eagerness and sacrifice. It's ordinary, but it's extraordinary, isn't it? Can you imagine churches like this? What would this look like amongst us, this extraordinary serving? If our love overflowed with joy like this so that we served and gave with eagerness and sacrifice, well, we'd be giving money, wouldn't we? And giving money eagerly, not having to be pressured or guilted into it or pursued by regular mail-outs, generously giving and wanting to give, seeking ways to give, not getting around to organising our giving. It'd be eager and it'd be sacrificial. Have you ever done that, actually given, and it's cost you so that you've, you've missed out on something that you actually wanted or even needed? That's what it would look like, isn't it? And not just giving money, obviously. Money here is an example of serving. Our serving would be eager so that people would just get in and serve not needing to be asked. People would not hold back. You wouldn't so much need to put a form out. Well, you probably would, I guess, to just organise because there'd be so many people volunteering. But you wouldn't need to pressure people because there'd be an eagerness flowing out of a joy and a willingness to sacrifice time and energy so you didn't get to do some of the other hobbies that you'd like to do. It'd be extraordinary, wouldn't it? And not just as individuals, but as a whole church. For it's the Macedonian churches that were eager and sacrificed like this. Imagine if our church as a whole overflowed with joy, was eager to give, eager to sacrifice for people we didn't know. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Can you imagine that happening? Well, it does sound like a pipe dream, doesn't it? It does sound like just out there, just impossible. These are these Macedonian churches, they must have been like a superhero movie or something. They've got some sort of superpower that came from Krypton or something or other, I don't know what. And somehow other churches wouldn't be able to get it. That's sort of how we respond to this, isn't it? But these Macedonian churches were actually real churches. They were just churches that happened to be in Macedonia, which doesn't mean much to you and I, but have you heard of the church in Thessalonica? One Thessalonians, two Thessalonians. Have you heard of the church in Philippi? The Philippians letter. And when you read those letters, you don't get a sense that they are extraordinarily generous. They're just ordinary Christians. But something changed when this collection came around. They became more eager. Something changed in them. This is real. 
What's more, I think you do see this today in real Christians. To be honest, I see this sometimes in our church. People joyfully, eagerly, sacrificially serving. I see it amongst us. As we farewell James and Sophie and Emma tonight, I see it in them. An eagerness to serve because of their joy in Jesus, a willing to sacrifice to give their time and energy. This sort of thing is real. And if you think about it for a moment, if Paul thought the loveless, self-centred, proud Corinthian church could do this, then there's hope even for us, isn't there? Yes, this is possible. This extraordinary giving that's eager and sacrificial and joyful. How does it come about? Well, the answer is there in verse 1. It's really quite simple. You didn't need me to tell you. Verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. There it is. We know the word grace, don't we? It means God's unearned mercy, his undeserved favour. And you read about it at the end of the passage that we're looking at tonight in verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus served us because of his generosity, his grace towards us. And the Macedonian churches knew that grace. The Corinthian churches knew that grace. You and I know that grace. That will spur a love that overflows with joy and leads to eagerness and sacrifice. But why did it work so well in the Macedonian churches? Why did it have such an effect upon them? Verse 1 again. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. They knew about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. All Christians knew that. But God gave them a particular grace. Grace is not just the unearned mercy that God gives to people when they become Christians. He goes on giving us grace, goes on blessing us, just as Jesus continues to serve us. And to the Macedonian churches, he gave them a particular grace. They were not always this generous, I take it. When you read Thessalonians and Philippians, it doesn't talk about how much money they gave in their extreme poverty. But at the particular time, God acted. God, by his spirit, changed them so that as they heard about this particular need, they became eager and sacrificial. He produced an extraordinary serving in them. So if you and I want to have a love that overflows with joy, that leads to eagerness and sacrifice in serving... Who can give that? Yes, it's possible, even for you and I, but who can give it? Not you. It's no good just saying, I've got to feel more guilty about not being eager enough and sacrificial enough. I better pull up my socks just a little bit higher and try harder. That's not it. 
I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And when you know about the grace that he gave the Macedonian churches, you don't try harder. What do you do? You ask God. Ask God that he would give his grace, that we'd be reminded of the grace that he's given in the Lord Jesus, but that also he'd do this miraculous work of causing a love that overflows with joy so that we're eager and sacrificial. Two weeks ago, I gave us a challenge, didn't I? Do you remember? Jesus promised to always be with us in making disciples, and to his early disciples, he gave great power to speak with boldness and courage and wisdom. And I said that you and I need more of that power. Will you pray every day that God would give us more of that power. And about 20 people in our church are now praying every day until the end of the year that God would give us that power. Tonight, I'm asking that we pray for something else. If you want to be someone who has a love that overflows with joy, that leads to eagerness and sacrifice in serving, will you ask God? If we want to be a church that overflows with joy because of our love for Jesus and is eager to serve and sacrifices our money and our time and our energy and with our gifts, then we need to ask God again and again that he would give us this grace for only he can do it. Will you do that? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we read here about these Macedonian churches that in their extreme poverty, they pleaded for the privilege of giving with great eagerness, with great sacrifice. And Father, that sounds very attractive. We'd love that to be true of us individually. We'd love it to be true of our church. And we know only you can do it but you can do it. So, Father, we ask that you would give us the same grace, unearned mercy that you gave to the Macedonian churches. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.